This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts, Brian Christofferson here on a Wednesday morning, no longer Tuesday. We attempted this on Tuesday, and my computer fought back against us having a podcast. We'll see if Wednesday is better for it. Uh, you guys missed a hell of a gladiator joke from BC. Oh, I can't replicate it at this yeah, point. It was good. Uh, you know, if, if we can figure out a way to, to get that to the people, we certainly will. I don't. Yeah, it, it, it involved the thumbs up, thumbs down. It was um, I, I don't remember. I was thumbs down on something. I don't remember now what it was. Clearly, it was a, a very strongly held opinion that I believed in a lot if I've already forgotten what it was. But, uh, you know, so that's that's what you missed yesterday. Today, though, we plan to do an entire podcast. Very exciting stuff. And we're going to start with what's going on with Nebraska football. Mickey Joseph. Moves on from Eric Shenander. You guys discussed that on Sunday, but Joseph talked on Tuesday. BC, what did you kind of learn in, in his press conference session as he walked through the, the reasons to move on from Eric Shenander and the reasons to move to Bill Bush? Well, he was, you know, Mickey Joseph will uh, go pretty quickly over a topic. He'll spend a couple sentences and doesn't spend more words than he needs to, which in Ander, he basically summed it up as the numbers didn't add up. I mean, I, I saw it through four games is what he said, and uh, we didn't get better from week one to week four. He's a good coach, a good uh, good man, but you got to move on. Uh, with Bill Bush, I think there's a trust factor that goes back to their time at LSU. And uh, he even, I think people who follow it closely know that they have kind of an interesting uh, competitive relationship and um, he talked about that, how some people even think they don't like each other, but it's just the way they get after each other. And uh, he trusts him. Uh, Bill Bush has studied under Dave Aranda a little bit um, in the past, and he thinks that could be useful. And he just says he's a detailed, fundamental guy, and we're, we're going to go with it. And he's, he said he's built for this, which is uh, a lot, because uh, this is a tough situation for any coach. Absolutely. Brunts, as, as you kind of assess – Nebraska's defense I mean is there what what kind of moves does can Bill Bush even sort of make at this point four games in and you spent an entire spring and a fall camp looking at at this 4-3 that you switched to uh is it is it largely just sort of personnel and just hoping that these guys kind of get better a little bit throughout practice 
or or where can realistically Nebraska fans look for some difference on defense? Uh, yeah, that's that's a tough question. I, and, I know I that's think, why I gave it to you instead of Brian. I know. Well, he would have handled it with a plum, I'm sure. Um, no, I, I think you can do. Here's what you can do, and and I think Mickey said this multiple times after the game is that you can look at personnel. You can see if there's somebody on that, on that roster, that's not playing that could potentially help you in a, you know, maybe a different spot. Um, you know, I, I think you can look at the the volume of reps you're giving certain guys. I mean, I, I think kind of the way the defensive line has played. I mean, I, I think you can look at some different options there and you're starting, starting lineup or, kind of how you handle that rotation. I mean, does a guy like Kane Williams emerge as a potential safety or nickel or something like that? Um, you know, I, I think from what I've seen, Chris Kolarovic makes a little bit more sense as, as an inside backer versus a a nickel just based on how that group is played. So, you know, and, and I think you can do some things schematically too. I mean, maybe you can have your corners play on an Island a little bit more th- than what Eric Chenader did. I mean, the, the, criticism for the last four years has been that the corners play too soft in coverage. There's not enough pressure. And that's how you essentially start playing seven on seven defense. So I think there's some things you can do. Certainly, you know, tackle better tackling would help. But to me, I I think if there's any change that's easy to make, it's if you can do something schematically to somehow increase the level of aggression of the defense, I think that's something that players would sign off on. Uh, pretty readily so uh, we'll see if that happens but there's you know (laughs) even if it looks better I mean it's still gonna have to go a long ways because I mean we're 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 past Cosgrovian at this point with where that defense is Cosgrovian that's a new uh a new term you know yeah uh, it's interesting that's that's not where you want to be either by the way have you guys sort of taken notice that at least starting with Bill Callahan, when a head coach has been removed in the year of which they're going out, it's like always a defensive dumpster fire. Like every single time. I have noticed the pattern. Yeah. Even 2014 (laughs) with Bo, like, I mean, it was, it was the Wisconsin game in which Melvin Gordon ran for, I don't know, 408 yards. And, uh, like that combined with not being able to stop Minnesota at home um, really sort of set that kind of tone. And then obviously Bob Diaco and Kevin Cosgrove own special places in the hearts of Nebraska fans for their 2007, <laughs> 2017 performances. Eric Shenander is right there with it. Like, is there, is there something about Nebraska's like when this pattern is, is occurring, but should, should we just, sort of expect that the defense is is going to be the the reason that a head coach is going to get let go around here? Um, I think it makes sense because I think, what, you know, when the defensive side of the ball really stinks, you feel like you're absolutely helpless. Like when the offensive side is mediocre or worse, there's always that still, I think, a little bit of hope as a fan base that your defense can make a player keep you in a game or it's going to at least be a competitive score. But if your defense is just completely off its feet and um, has no answers against the run and some of the basics of, of football, uh, as a fan base, you're feeling like 
56 to 14 could always be just around the corner. To, and th- and that's like the most helpless thing in the world when you go into a weekend and, and that could be a possibility. So I think that's why it tends to happen uh, as to your uh, setup explained there. Brunt, could, do you have kind of a, do you have like a framework for how this thing sort of fell apart for Nebraska? I mean, is there, is there an obvious one or two things that you sort of see from the defensive side of the ball where it's like, yeah, I mean, they just didn't replace this or they, they haven't found the answer for this. I mean, is it, is it that easy or is it sort of just a collective, like they just dropped off that hard once they lost some of these super seniors and they just didn't, they didn't have answers for it because it, it doesn't feel like talent level wise, they're dramatically worse than last year's team. And yet the results on the field is dramatically worse than last year's team. Yeah. Brian and I kind of talked about it a little bit on Sunday that, you know, I think part of the issue, well, I mean, so, so Nebraska lost a a ton of veteran guys from last year's team. And I think probably we didn't, you know, assign the amount of weight to those losses that we probably should have. I mean, and and it's not just, you know, Jojo Doman that, that they're missing. They're certainly missing him, but, you know, Damian Daniels and Bill, Ben Stilley, which we talked about all summer, were huge losses. And I think what you've seen now is kind of a continuation or a reflection of Nebraska's issues across the board of retaining players and developing players. I mean, I, I think that's that's what's happening on defense is you have you didn't have that next group of guys kind of ready to go. Um to, to replace those guys. Um, you know, you, you, I think, especially on the front have seen the issues that perhaps Tony Tuyoti had on the recruiting trail that you didn't have those linemen ready to go to step in. I mean, a lot of the guys that he signed were more developmental prospects and I know at least two of them weren't even in uniform, um, for the Oklahoma game. So, you know, that's an issue. I, I think too, you've also seen, you know, guys that were on a pretty upward trajectory in their careers have plateaued a little bit. I mean, I think Luke Reimer would tell you he's had a disappointing season with the way things have gone. Um, you know, Nick Hendricks fighting the the hand injury, but, you know, you, you kind of, Caleb Tanner is kind of the same way. I mean, I think everybody was expecting a, a big year from him and it's kind of been, you know, a little bit of a plateau there too. So I think that's been the biggest thing is just not having that, the, the guy's ready to step in and, and be kind of the next man up. Um, and I think you've even seen that, you know, against Oklahoma, they, they really rotated a lot, but it was only at a few positions. And, you know, I, I think that's a reflection of depth that they have. So that, that, that to me has kind of been the biggest issue is, you know, you just, you lost these veterans that you counted on for so many years and there just wasn't the, the people behind them to, to step in, whether that be, recruiting development or guys just, you know, bugging out and, and transferring. BC, are we smart enough collectively to, to figure out if it was they recruited the wrong guys for a Big Ten defense or they couldn't develop the guys they recruited for the Big Ten defense? I mean, because <clears throat> frankly, like think of all the names we talk about, save for Deontay Williams and Cam Taylor Britt. I mean, they're almost all Mike Riley holdovers when you're talking Ben Stilley, Damian Daniels, uh, Markel Dismuke. I mean, guys like that, the value that they brought, um, it it just strikes me that when you're you're talking about Nebraska's defensive recruits over the last few years, 
they've had some bigger names, but Caleb Tanner has never turned into more than just a role player. Um, Nick Henrich has been a little disappointing for me. Luke Reimer might be the best of the defensive players, uh, save for Cam Taylor Britt, and he was a walk-on that they were sort of fortunate to get, to be honest. Um, and then Cam Taylor Britt, who was pretty good right away from day one, who wasn't even a high school cornerback. I mean, he was a quarterback. So I, it, it's remarkable to me how little they've gotten out of those recruiting classes starting in 2018 all the way through to 2021. Yeah, and they've had some <clears throat> they've had some big t- bigger time recruits that we made a big deal about or that were four-star guys that basically didn't play or moved on mm-hmm. within a year. Uh you can think of two middle backers in particular uh like Keyshawn Green and I, I don't think much has happened in his career since, but you know Wyndon Hooli and you know the guys like that who um, they look good on a recruiting page, but that it never was a factor here. And so you're kind of working around that. And I, I, I'll be candid in the off season. I thought maybe they had worked around that pretty well because I was pretty optimistic about the Henrich Reimer combo okay. and, and, and it's not over. I mean, there's a, those guys can play better and you're going to get guys like Hausman. And, but you know, you need some of these guys that, you know, your Randolph Kapais and guys like that, that we, you know, we're excited about when they're recruits, you'd like to see them start to pop into the conversation more. Uh, so we'll see if that happens. I think development's probably the thing though, of what we're talking about that has been most disappointing. And I would cite that um, there's been a few too many cases where we thought a guy had a lot of promise in his first or second year. And it felt like it sort of just leveled off, you know, and it, 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 it didn't ever become that second team, all big 10 type guy. He just was a guy. And um, so I, I, I think uh, in this next head coaching hire, which I know is going to be one of our topics here um, you're looking for somebody who has a track record, I think of taking players and um, over three or four years, you're like, look at what he was at the end of that as to the beginning. And that's, I guess what a two, two and a half month coaching search allows you is to really do a deep dive into like who's really develops guys at the spots you need that to happen to win in the Big Ten, which I would say is the trenches. Shifting gears a little bit, some news that came out on Tuesday that I think is is pretty substantial. AJ Allen, after four games, will be done at Nebraska with a uh, believe they're saying shoulder injury. Is that right? Call it collarbone. Yeah. So he's yeah. he's out. I, I say this a little bit in jest, but a little bit honestly. Is recruiting A.J. Allen to stay at Nebraska, regardless of what happens at the coaching search, more valuable than any recruit that they can go find still in the 2023 class? Because, I mean, he's going to have every option under the sun if he wants to leave Nebraska. That's how good I think A.J. Allen is, and I think that's what his film would reflect if anybody, you know, if he were to go into the portal and becomes a recruitable athlete. Yeah, strong case for Brian Applewhite there, too. I mean, because he was just a hand-picked Applewhite guy, and uh, you got to give him a lot of credit on that one because he nailed it. Because A.J. Allen, the disappointing part is that we don't get to see him roll through the Big Ten and see how he stacks up with that because I think the thing that was appealing at first glimpse was uh, he felt like a young Big Ten back to me, like a guy who could really uh, dish it out a little bit and – um, it was going to be fun to watch. So it's too bad he keeps his red shirt, but 
Um, this is a case where I don't know how big a deal that is because I, you know, if he's a really gifted player, you know, is he going to be in college football for five years? I don't know if that matters so much. So that it's a disappointing thing that he doesn't get this time to develop, even if the red shirt is kept. Brunch, what are your thoughts on AJ Allen? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, of the, the freshman this year, I mean, he was probably the most promising of that group. And, you know, I, I think Nebraska was starting to, lean on him a little bit more um, as the season was going along. So it's too bad. I mean, I, we'll see what Gabe Irvin can do because uh, he's apparently the backup now. But the, the running back room overall, I mean, is going to be fascinating to follow in the offseason because you have coaching search coming or coaching change coming. You don't know what Brian Applewhite's situation will be. Um, you know, I, I Anthony Grant, I mean, he's he's been at, you know, this is his third stop. Is he going to be willing to – you know, play for another coach, you know, I think there's probably going to be some guys with some portal decisions to make not named AJ Allen. Um, And, and, you know, that group is going to look a lot different, but I I think, you know, getting Allen to to stick around and stay would be huge for Nebraska because I I think he's got that, he's got the wiggle, he's got the the breakaway speed. And, um, you know, I think with at least four games under his belt of college football, he's going to be that much better for it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think just for now, too, you're getting into your depth a little bit more with, with guys that, you know, you maybe don't feel as good about. So that, that's not, not good for a team that, that needs a lot of options right now. Speaking of Brian Applewhite and running backs, I actually just offered Arnold Barnes the third on – Tuesday since today's Wednesday. Um, so that's a guy I, I know, I know Applewhite was planning on using this week to see a number of 2023s and 2024s um, in both Louisiana and in Texas. Arnold Barnes is a New Orleans guy, uh, been basically a four year running back for Booker T. Washington down in New Orleans. I've messaged with him a little bit. Uh, he is a two lane commit, you know, Willie Fritz. That guy knows his stuff. I look, Nebraska could do worse than just raiding Tulane's uh, commits at times. So keep an eye on Arnold Barnes. Um, trying to think elsewhere on offense. I want to go before we get into the coaching search. I, I we also haven't really had a chance to kind of discuss this. Yet another sort of lost year for Teddy Prohaska. Uh, after getting it hurt last year. He will redshirt as a sophomore now, and he'll come back and have three years to play next year. But, you know, it, it, he would be the first to tell you it hadn't been a comfortable run for him in those first three games. He didn't he didn't feel like he was completely locked in mentally and over the knee injury. I I got to be honest, guys, I I'm a little concerned long term about where things sort of sit for Teddy Prohaska and and even Thomas Fedoni. I mean, these were two pretty exciting pieces of your 2021 recruiting class and more or less two years are just been sort of wasted. And, and I don't, I don't mean that in as harsh as that sounds, but even if they were just healthy, they'd be able to get snaps, reps, development time. Can't really develop when you're in the training room or when you're in a sling and you're standing on the sidelines. It's uh, as we put all the pieces together for why this didn't work. So many of their top guys either ended up transferring, didn't pan out, or they've just had these run of injuries that don't even allow players to see the field. Yeah. I, I suppose if, 
If there's a silver lining to Teddy's situation, I think it is that, you know, Schaefer, you talked to him a couple of weeks ago when he came up uh, in the hallway for a media session, and he was really candid about sort of the mental fight, you know, to get over that injury from the previous season and trust your body and all that. And you could tell when you watched him, honestly, that he was sort of going through that, I thought. Like, you could see he was just a little, you know, it was a little – uh, you, a guy who had definitely had an injury out there um, and he was working through it. And I guess if there, you want to swing it positive, it's that um, he keeps his red shirt, which in this case I think is okay because last year he kind of got screwed out of a red shirt uh, because he was in his fifth game. So it feels like it, sort of the fairness, uh, uh, the football gods of fairness came in on that one at least where that he's technically just a sophomore next year. And now he gets a, a full chance to really recover, not just from his pre- current injury, which he had a, his arm in a sling, but the, I think the one from last year mentally to like kind of work on that. And so that's what you hope can happen for him, um, because I do think it was it was difficult on him through his own words. It's, I don't think saying anything out of bounds because he said it himself. So um, that's the positive part, if, if there is one. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Diving over to the coaching search. Let's just jump right into that. Brunch, you've spent the last few days sort of writing up some bios on some of these guys, diving into their backgrounds a little bit. What what have you sort of learned? What's Give us some standout facts, if you will, of, of stuff that's going on uh, in this. Not learn about these coaches that Nebraska is looking at heavily. Yeah. So we've been running through just kind of candidate profiles, I guess would be the best way to put it um, of, of the name of some of the guys that are, you know, out there and, and certainly I think under consideration by Nebraska. And, you know, I, I think right now that there's kind of, a couple tiers that, that we're looking at. And I think, you know, that there's kind of the, the Matt Campbell, Lance Leipold types that, you know, are more guys that have, are, are more developmental type coaches that, that have, you know, wanted at, uh, at other schools. And, you know, I, I think when you kind of start talking about what Nebraska needs in its next head coach and, and what Trev Albert said on that press conference, I think that, kind of tier of guys kind of aligns pretty closely with what Trev said. I mean, you, you need a grinder, you need a guy that develops a guy that builds up, you need, you need a builder. 
is essentially what he's looking for. And, you know, on the other hand, you have, you know, guys that I, I think are a little bit more of the, the flashier type candidates that have had a lot of success in other places. I mean, uh, a little bit more of a track record, I guess, like a, like a Dave Aranda or a Luke Fickle or uh, Matt Rule, um, those types. I mean, I, I think it's pretty easy to separate out, you know, which box guys fit in um, as you're kind of going through the search. So that, that's kind of where they're at now. I mean, I, I, I always cringe a little bit when people ask, well, do you need a developer? Do you need a, a guy that can go out and recruit? Like you need both. Like, because I've always kind of been of the opinion that, you know, if developers can start with a little bit better clay, that probably helps your your uh, program get better a little bit faster. So, you know, and the thing too with that, the, the light bulb Campbell, I mean, the, the, those types of hires, I mean, the, the staff question is such a key component of that and who you bring in, how many guys come along, um, because I, I you know, I think Nebraska really needs to be careful um, with, with kind of the the way the staff is built around whoever they hire, because Nebraska does require, I think, a little bit of a unique staff makeup than what you see at other places, just based on geography, recruiting, all that other stuff. Yeah, I your answer about the development and the recruiting, I think, is really good. I at this point the way I kind of view it, if, if like you're sacrificing one of the two, I sort of feel like Nebraska's cachet resources, all of that allow it to kind of hang in the top 40 of recruiting most of the time anyways. So a, a lot of it to me is just, I look at what happened with Scott Frost and a little bit with Mike Riley. And I think to myself, like guys just didn't get better. They just didn't really improve. I mean, Adrian Martinez was largely the same quarterback for three years in a row. Um, we know Nebraska's offensive line issues and their defensive line issues. Uh, even a guy like Cam Taylor Britt, who you kept sort of waiting to just have like a, a huge kind of breakout year. I mean, he was steady, but at times in 2021, I mean, teams weren't afraid to go at him. Uh, he gave up a few touchdowns. He gave up some key situation plays. So it's it, it just struck me that, you know, you you kind of marry this idea of, OK, you want to bring in someone who's going to be able to to get these guys better and 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 everything. And it's it's just not always as simple as, oh, well, this staff kind of has a reputation of, of punching above its weight. Like, I mean, the the players have to be able to handle playing in the Big Ten Conference. They have to be able to do it week in and week out. I mean, we we talk about how you know often it doesn't feel like there's any real gimme games on Nebraska's schedule. Part of that's where Nebraska is at as a program. Part of that is the Big Ten's middle is just deeper now. I mean, you don't have a lot of room for air. You don't get uh, a game or two a year to kind of figure it out in conference play because right now Nebraska is capable of losing to everybody in conference. So, um, you know, it's just a it's it, you got to be able to build a roster that can sort of grind things out. And that's a blueprint that you see from a Wisconsin and Iowa, Minnesota. And I know that nobody likes to hear that because they look at those teams and they think limited upside. But I, I just think right now Nebraska has to aspire to be in those situations before it can worry about punching through any kind of glass ceiling. I think Bruns was hitting on an important point too, is I think 
more than ever when Trev is interviewing these candidates or whoever is involved in it, um, they need to get a sense of the 10 deep on the staff. Like, and I'm not saying you lay out every guy that you're going to bring or try to bring, um, but uh, some good names of like who, who, who's all coming along with you to, to make sure that you feel like you've got a staff a full staff that just has big 10 weight you to it. Like, or you believe that like across the board, you've got guys who can recruit and develop at this level. And that, that always gets a little bit tricky in these circumstances because like uh, Lance Leipold, for instance, uh, at Kansas is going to want to bring along some of his guys who they, they haven't been in the big 10. A lot of these guys, you know, maybe there were, some of them were with him at Buffalo and, you know, now at Kansas and stuff like that. So that like a Jamie Chadwell, for example, he's not necessarily going to have a lot of guys on his staff who have like power five experience. And so I think you got to make a little, that would require a little bit of a leap of faith with a guy like that, honestly, Um, that his staff is going to be the type that you feel like can, can win at this level. And that's not saying he can't. And we've seen people who have done that and made that jump with people they trust around them. Um, But I think you got to get really into the details about like, okay, who are your main dudes like around you? Like what's your network like? And also I wrote about this on Friday. I really think it, it's gotta be somebody you sense has a strong mental capacity, uh, just ability to handle what Brunson. I always go back to the Frank DeFord story on chasing rabbits and just like around here, there's always like a, a Bobby Knight. It was about Bobby Knight for those who don't know. And just like getting caught up in stuff that really doesn't matter and it takes you away from the details that do matter. And obviously um, around here, there's always stuff that can be a flashing light that distracts you or this or that. And I think we've seen a couple of coaches have that happen to them where they, they get caught looking at the rabbits too much. So I think you got to really find that person who has that special makeup um, where you sense that this is a guy who you heard Trev at his press conference say that, some of the best guys are just grinders. They don't have any hobbies. This is all they do. And it's got to be that type of guy who this is, he, he puts himself in that room and he's focused on all the details of what it takes to build up a football team. And he's not worried about all the nonsense here or there. I'm just I'm curious. Just, I got a question for you guys. No. So it, as this discussion has gone on, you know, as the search has begun, I'm fascinated by the conversations of how, Nebraska's basically the sins of Nebraska's previous coaches and the narratives around them are, are seeping into this current search. For example, the, the guy who did a lot with the little, some people turned their nose up because that was the narrative around Mike Riley. Um, You know, the kind of hotshot, you know, non-power five coach du jour, that was Scott Frost. Um, I'm curious to, 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 Think, get your guys' opinion. Do you think that, I, I guess, is that stuff overblown? Or does that also kind of weigh in your mind as you kind of start going through lists of guys and doing your pro-con list of, okay, well, Nebraska's already tried this. or Because I, I think if you do that stuff, you're kind of doing your search a little bit of disservice. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that it should really matter all that much um, because I think that you have to weigh each coach individually unto themselves. I mean, if you're, 
if you're looking at Bill O'Brien, what is it about Bill O'Brien that makes him right for Nebraska? It's not, well, the last time they hired a coordinator, it didn't go so well. Like, it, you know, it doesn't, uh, which would have been Bo Pelini, and there's really not a whole lot of similarity <clears throat> between Bill O'Brien and Bo Pelini, but whatever. Just go with the dumb example that I gave. Um, you know, so I, I think you just have to weigh it all individually. I, I'm with you. I see a lot of, I see a lot of bizarre commentary linking Matt Campbell to Mike Riley. And I think that one, I think they're both fine coaches in their own right. Like I, I, the revisionist history of how terrible Mike Riley is, is something I'll never get over given that Nebraska had a nine win season under them. Uh, they weren't like a bad football team. It had a really bad finish but I would argue that there was contextually a lot of stuff going on around him that sort of prevented him from having much of a chance anyways. And that wasn't an issue for Scott Frost. Um, and he had his own set of issues, but it's like when I see people that are scared that Matt Campbell might bring assistance with him from Iowa state and they liken it to, to Scott Frost, it's, it's kind of like, how can this guy both be Mike Riley, but then he's going to do Scott Frost type stuff and yet has had his own level of success that neither one of them really reached. I mean, Matt Campbell's beaten more teams in the top 10 than Nebraska has in what the last decade plus. I mean, yeah. I, like, I mean that Matt Campbell, the difference is I see that he's got a staff that has been in the power five, not the big 10, but right. he's got a pretty power five experienced staff. And what was it? Brunts was it 10 wins since 2017 over top 25 teams. Yeah, I think that's is that, right. Is that right? 10 yeah. wins. And four or so against top 10 teams mm -hmm. and Nebraska's at zero. And yeah. so I, I know there's a few people with Campbell are hung up on set. He's been in the seven, eight category and stuff. Uh, seven, eight win category. That's where Nebraska uh, has to get to it, Well, that's what I would say. And, and, and I would say you, you would, you would be banking too, that he's got, he's got some more resources um, here. And um, also, I mean, people, I'm not going to give it away because people should just sign up and read it. But like the recruiting stuff on him that you wrote about um, Matt Campbell's a guy who's his staff gets on people quickly. <laughs> they, they, oh. they, they identify um, talent quicker than uh, other staffs have done. Um, frankly, they were offering before Nebraska on some guys that turned out to be pretty good or that were wanted. Um, and so I think there's a lot of appeal about him. And I think Bill O'Brien has a, a different sort of appeal too, in the sense that um, if you're talking about the guy who may, maybe could take over this job where there's you're the big show and handle that, and you just kind of feel like he's built up the experience to do that, having been through Penn State and the NFL for seven years, I think there's there's I can understand why you kick the tires on that at least. And I think the big question with O'Brien, I'll then I'll swing it to you, is he's at that point. He's 52. And he's been in the NFL. He's been in college. Obviously, right now he's with Alabama. But I think you want to really see, like, what's your – like, have you kind of decided which uh, alley you want to be in? Because I think he's at that point in his career where you got to decide sort of if you're going toward that NFL route or that college route, you know, to uh, – for the at this time where I think he's still in his coaching prime. Yeah, I think the fact that he went back the college route sort of – Probably gives that – that that's kind of where he views uh, the future lane for him. I mean, I, I think Bill O'Brien's really fascinating for a variety of reasons. We're going to, we've been doing this series here where Matt Campbell was 
who we looked into on Monday, Lance Leipold on Tuesday, Bill O'Brien is for Wednesday. And just talking with Brian Doan, I mean, he he was kind of walking through like Bill O'Brien inherited a mess at Penn State. And uh, he handled that pretty well. And and Brian, Brian Doan, our, our East Coast recruiting analyst, he basically said that one of the things that people probably don't give O'Brien enough credit for is that when putting together those Penn State recruiting classes, he wasn't there super long. He did a lot of due diligence to basically try to weed out any problems before they could even start. Like, I, I think he approached that job with the idea that this place is already a powder keg. The last thing that we can afford is a recruit or a player that ultimately is going to be in the headlines for reasons that we don't want. And I, I think that, you know, they were still able, like, and it was a pretty restrictive recruiting that he wouldn't necessarily engage in at Nebraska or, you know, wherever his next job is going to be. But Doan's point was that they can still, he has the ability to evaluate talent, to define players that, you know, if he has to go into the Midwest and he's not in the recruiting hotbed of Alabama, he's still going to be able to unearth some gems because he just has that sort of evaluation ability that when restricted, when sort of fighting with, you know, hands tied behind his back, he was able to put together a roster that competed in one of the best conferences in college football and doing that with major scholarship limitations and his own kind of restrictions on, on what they want to do. So I, I think that there is some reason to believe that a guy like Bill O'Brien, who has experience in the NFL and has experience in the Big Ten, would look at the Nebraska job and think, okay, you know, it's a little bit unique. I've, we're going to have to do things a little bit different than, than, you know, what Alabama is doing. But the opportunity is still pretty good. And I still believe in, in what I can do. And then the other, I think, real sort of benefit uh, with Bill O'Brien, perhaps over Matt Campbell or Lance Leipold, is that you've got access to maybe a a different caliber of staff. I mean, he's worked in, in different places. He's worked in the NFL. He's worked in different conferences. He hasn't been around the same set of guys. He hasn't been someone who, you know, started from Wisconsin Whitewater, then to Buffalo, then to Kansas. Like we're, you're not talking about, you know, college football royalty there, but you're, you're talking about a guy who's a head coach at Penn state that then jumped into the NFL and was a NFL coach and a defensive core, or excuse me, and a, and a GM, and, you know, a, a guy that basically uh, has sort of these connections in different areas in the country that will help both for recruiting, but also for hiring assistant coaches. And now he's in the SEC watching how Saban does it. So I think there's a lot of reason that Bill O'Brien is intriguing to Trev Alberts. And I, I understand that from the Nebraska fan base perspective, he's probably the hardest to sell out of these three guys. But I, I would not write him off by any means. <clears throat> I think so, uh, no, ahead, uh, I think I think the the three guys we were talking about today, Leipold, Campbell, O'Brien. I I gotta go back and research it, but I want to write something on this, and I will this week, I believe. I feel like they're in a much better position with the with a group of candidates that I feel like have a solid enough foundation that you could trust if any of those guys got hired, they would come here and at least get you back to I think, you know, that seven, eight win, and then we'll see after that, you know, but I think they, they, they're the type of guys who, if you look at their resume, each has a different way of convincing you of that granted, like Lance Leipold's reason is different than Bill O'Brien's, 
But like, even if you look at Bill O'Brien and what he did at the Houston Texans, I mean, he was there for what, seven years or so, which is longer than some guys have in the NFL. And I think they're in the playoff four years, had winning seasons five of the years. And people always remember when NFL jobs fail the last year or how it went south and, oh, this guy stinks sort of thing. Um, but that's it. I mean, he's, he had a winning record for the most part in the NFL, um, which gives me a lot of confidence what he could do here. And the same with the other guys. So I think they, uh, if people want some optimism, I believe the list of candidates are better. Like if you go back and look at like 2007, for example, I remember that search, like there's six or seven guys we had on our short list that you'd be to just shake your head at now. Like, Oh, who are they? Give us some names. So obviously, Bo Pelini gets a job. Turner Gill, I think, interviewed for it. Uh, Jim Grobe was sort of the, the he was name in that it. popped up. Bud Foster. So, uh, Bud Foster, who never yeah. became a head coach. Yeah. At that time, though, it was thought like he was like the DC like potential hire. I mean, that one came down to Bo and Turner. Um, and that's no knock on on Turner or anything, but I would say the guys that we're talking about now have a far better resume established than Bo and Turner did at that point in their careers, you know, uh, by Tur- Turner, uh, Brunson's looking cause Turner did lead Buffalo to a nice season. He's, but I, I, I just like these guys. I just like the possibilities better than I remember thinking that even back then, like that, that you're taking a chance on these hires more. And I, I don't feel that way as much now. It's just how I feel about it. As I look at each of the main guys we're talking about, and maybe they're going to go a completely different direction. This thing still has two months to play out. Um, but I have, if they announce either one of those three as head coach, I could be like, all right, look, you know, that, that makes, you can make sense of that to me. So and that's even, at least a good place to start. Even the, I was just thinking back to the 2014, 2013, like, 2013, when you're kind of speeding towards what appears to be a coaching search and you kind of have an initial hot board of who would make sense. And this this crew this time around seems like a much. uh, It seems like a a group that there's guys that you feel comfortable betting on long term, at least being able to do something at Nebraska where the other ones you're kind of like, well, you know, and, and I don't. I don't know too if if the fact that Nebraska has just completely, you know, struggled so much the last few years kind of clarifies that a little bit too. Because I, you, I think it does because you don't have the like oh they they just bounced a nine win coach. Um, you know, it, <laughs> you didn't burn it to the ground, but you, you you're you're close. Well, I I mean, think of those three guys that that are sort of the expected three top three candidates. I mean, all of them sort of inherited a situation that for the lack of a better word sucked. I mean, Iowa state wasn't a great place to go be a coach at when you leave Toledo to go be there. Kansas is probably the worst power five team in the country. When Lance Leipold showed up in May of 2021, uh, you're coming off of one of the biggest scandals in college football history and having to replace a legend in Joe Paterno. If you're Bill O'Brien and you're doing it with half the scholarships and the entire country watching every single thing that you do because of, uh, you know, what had occurred under Joe Paterno. So I I think, I mean, on some level, all three of those coaches would be inheriting a better situation, you know, this time around when they, if they were to get the Nebraska job. But that also kind of just tells you, like, 
that's sort of where Nebraska is at right now. Like it's, it's kind of viewed as like a, a project in 2014. It wasn't viewed as a project. It was viewed as a turnkey in 2017. It was viewed as a homecoming this time around. It's like the house down the block that, you know, the frame looks nice and it, it just needs a lot of, a lot of elbow grease and quite frankly, <laughs> an influx of money put into it a little bit. So uh, it, it's just the the way that this job is kind of presented right now versus certainly 2007 and, and 2014. Uh, it, it's just a wildly different time, I think, in college football and a, a wildly different time for Nebraska. And I think, I mean, it always feels like every hire that you're about to make is the most important one. But this feels like Nebraska can't get a guy who just blows up. Like they have to have someone who can steadily do something for a while. Because if you get into that cycle where you're having to change a coach out every two years, and I mean, it's tough to get out of that. You know, it's really tough to get it right once you start getting it wrong, because then no one really wants the job. And I feel like this time around, there's there's legitimate interest from coaches who probably aren't even going to be that considered uh, that, you know, in other years would have at least made you raise an eyebrow or ended up on a hot board. So um, we'll see kind of how that plays out. Has Lance... Any- Okay. Yeah, I'll ask a question to you guys, and because I don't think we talked as much about him, maybe. But has Lance, what Lance Leipold, even though he's, I think he's fifty-eight, and you know he's got decades of coaching experience, and what he did at Whitewater with the championships, and um, you know did a nice job at Buffalo. But has what he's done, and even just like the fifteen games at Kansas, was that enough? Like, if he didn't have that, would you be kind of like, ah, I don't not really interested has is is that been enough that that is what has elevated him into this conversation to you or does that part not matter that much for me i i have the toughest time with lance Leipold because it basically you're just betting that what's happening at kansas and what he did at wisconsin whitewater he can do at nebraska i mean i because even the stop at buffalo like you look at the recruiting numbers and they're terrible you mm-hmm. talk to to people that cover the recruiting and I mean, they basically like they sort of insinuated it was a low energy approach. Like they they found guys that they liked and, you know, they went after that. They didn't make a lot of offers. But then Alan True pointed this out. He goes, if you look at what they're doing at Kansas now, it's wildly different. And so he views that as a he views that as a good sign that Lance Leipold didn't think that he could just go to Kansas with the same strategy that he had at Buffalo, that you're going to find enough of these, you know, Jarrett and James Patterson, and you're going to fix both sides of the ball that way. Um, and instead, they've been a lot more aggressive. I mean, you look at both Matt Campbell and Lance Leipold, they've both made over 300 offers. The running joke with Nebraska is that Nebraska and Iowa State offers like every kid in the country. But that's that's what you kind of have to do in the Midwest because you don't have as big of a recruiting area. And frankly, sometimes you got to go west, sometimes you got to go south, sometimes you got to go southeast. And, um, and to, in order to, to do that, you have to evaluate a lot of players and you have to make a lot of offers. And, and I think Alan was sort of saying to me that, you know, he's been impressed by what Leifold has done because it's so different than what they were doing at Buffalo. And so he thinks like that in itself is evidence that Leifold has acknowledged mm-hmm. like, hey, this is a different standing. This is a different job. We can't do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then he, you know, Alan feels like he would ratchet that up even further if he's at a place like Nebraska. So the recruiting aspect of it is a little concerning. And then, frankly, I don't know that Lance Leipold's on this list if he's not a recruiting assistant for Frank Solich for a couple of years. Like, I I just, you know, if if 
whatever a comparable to Nebraska is making this higher, and I don't even know who that is at this point in any, right now. Do you think Lance Leipold is on that hot board? Like, is Lance Leipold on the hot board at Arizona State right now? Well, well no, yeah. they're going to hire Deion Sanders. But um, I think that would be an utter disaster. Like an think, absolute, absolute you know, disaster. You know how I like watching a good disaster. Um, no, I think, I I mean, obviously the connection there um, is a big factor in him being there. I mean, I think what I'm curious to see as the season goes along, they're obviously 3-0. and They're, you know, I think they hadn't won three games at Kansas since 2009. That's noteworthy. I do wonder if, I mean, let's say they go 5-7 and seven this year. Is that enough to sell Nebraska's fan base on that that there's some magic potion that would work at Nebraska? I think it, I think that would be more of a difficult sell um, if, if things played out that way. I think he's a good coach. Don't get me wrong, and, and I think that what he's doing at Kansas with everything that they've gone through, I mean that 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 should be applauded. And I think he would end up on some some hot boards for jobs that'll come open, but. The connections to Nebraska, I think, are, you know, pretty noteworthy. I mean, if let's say if Wisconsin came open, I mean, would he he would probably be towards the top of that list, too. And I think part of that is is the the feeling among national reporters is that, you know, there's a strong chance that he would say yes if asked at both those places. Wouldn't he be still behind guys like Dave Aranda and and, uh, Jim Leonard? And I, I don't know. I just... He he would be on the list though. I think. Under yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. That's, he would that's be what on I the said. List. Yeah. yeah. No, that's fair. <clears throat> that's absolutely fair. Um, BC, who are you watching this weekend? Who's what? What coaching uh, coaching situation are you going to be paying attention to to see how they use their timeouts in a two minute drill? And uh, any other thing that you can glean from Saturday? Any I games? I. I don't know who's playing who yet. I don't. I'm not going <laughs> to pretend I do. I, I I don't get to that till like. I even warned you that I was going to ask you this. Oh, did you? Uh, right yeah, like before we started. Baylor right. and Iowa State. Just oh well, there you lock, go. Lock lock it in. <laughs> I didn't know that was the match of the week. So um, I would. I, I'm I sorry. I apologize. It, no, I would have figured it out by like Friday at like three thirty. Um, which one? Uh, but yeah, that that one seems good. Uh, you get your uh, your Aranda fix and your. Uh, Campbell fix. We should just hire you an intern that will basically just have a schedule together of the games that matter on Saturday. But it doesn't, you know, like when you've got to cover a game, it doesn't matter. Like when we're, when you're at Indiana and Nebraska on on the following Saturday, like you're probably going to be able to watch maybe one game or two games before you go to the stadium. So it's really just kind of a bye week. You don't see you don't see a lot of college football when Nebraska plays. People don't always understand that. Um, yeah. Like the night games sometimes help because you can see the 11 a.m. games. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, you're kind of disconnected. And sometimes it takes until like Monday or Tuesday, frankly, of the next week to <laughs> kind of hash out the details of, oh, this happened in this game or that game. At least that for me, it does. Like uh, once in a while, I'll get to like Tuesday morning. I'll admit this, uh, and I'll I'll just be like, they lost, like you know, once in a while, like or something like that, like so, like the fourteen team in the country will have a loss or something, and it'll be like, I didn't I didn't see that one, but uh, that's how I live, though. So I'm not saying everyone should live that way. So you got you got Baylor and Iowa State, ESPN two, eleven a.m. Central kick. So so make sure you're up early for that one. 
Also, if you're closely following Matt Rule situation, they've got the Saints this week sitting 0 and 2. So the, the, those are your where I would probably at least keep an eye on the scorebook. I would uh, if if Carolina moves on from Matt Rule during the season, like early on, I would expect Nebraska to have interest in him at this point in time. I mean, I. And I would expect him to have interest in Nebraska, too. I think Matt Rule is going to be coaching somewhere in 2023. I just don't expect it to be in Carolina. Other other games to, of note, uh, Duke, which took uh, Northwestern to the woodshed. They've got Kansas this weekend. Um, that's also an 11 a.m. Central kick. Not sure on TV there. It might be Raycom Sports or a pay-per-view <laughs> situation, maybe Versus. Um, I don't know. So I don't know what's going on there, but that's the other uh, maybe matchup of note. And they're there. both three and zero, aren't they? Wait, does that mean Mike is Mike Elko going to end up on? That's who the coach is at Duke, right? Yeah. Well, the 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 real important game is October first because that's Kansas Iowa State. So mm-hmm. um, that that that's got big hot board implications. How many media members do you think from Nebraska will be at the Kansas Iowa State game? Um. I bet three. <laughs> I mean, it's probably not going to be I feel like, like I can name a couple right now. I'm not going to say it, but I think I could. It's not going to be like everybody rushing to Atlanta for UCF and Auburn, but I, I, I could see maybe somebody passing through and, and checking it out. I mean, if they're going to Manhattan to watch Adrian Martinez in another uniform, then I don't, I don't know that either Ames or Lawrence is so far that there's not going to be a, an appearance or two. That's true. I wonder how opposing media would feel about that. Is it like a weird thing? I mean, it, it would be like, uh, it, it would be like if, you know, like when the New York Times used to like parachute in for a Nebraska game, it would be like, what, what's this guy doing here? Like what? <laughs> I, I was thinking it was more like when the bowl committees would show up and they're like weird blazers. That's kind they, of they more don't, what they it don't goes. come around anymore, Mike. Yeah, well, I mean, back <laughs> back when they used to show up, and I would see the Outback Bowl just munching on onions in the back yep. of the press box. Um, it, it'd be kind of more like that, right? Because it's not like you're really there to work. There's going to be a story or two. There's going to be some interviews, but yep. mostly it's just sort of there to just ask questions a little bit and watch. Maybe get a, a dinner wreck. That's that, I remember the bowl bowl guys are always big yeah. on wanting to know where they should go to dinner. Well, so that's why I'm just thinking that the Nebraska media should get together and organize some sort of like coaching search blazers that are worn when you're in press boxes that aren't including Nebraska games. It feels like the it feels like the kind of uniformity that we need right now. Yeah, I mean that would probably be like just the least weird. the hell out of it, bro. That would probably be like the least weird thing. That, that you could imagine with this coaching search as it plays out. So, yeah, well, a good weird coaching search is good for everybody when it's still got 10 weeks to go. So, all right. Any closing thoughts? Nope. Play, ended on Blazers. Yeah, you can, you can tie it up. <laughs> I'd rather just have ended it right there with the, the tie it up. All right. Uh, everybody get to Husker247.com. We've got, an offer going out for monthly subscriptions, a uh, little bit different than the last thing that was going on. Be sure to check that out if you want to get in on the VIP information. We have plenty of coaching search stuff, recruiting stuff. Like I said, we're looking at coaches individually this week. 
um, going into a little bit of a deep dive into their recruiting patterns, recruiting habits, uh, that sort of thing. So all of that will be up at Husker 24-7. Coaches are going out on the road this week. Uh, so they're going to be um, hitting high school games up around the country. So there's going to be coverage, even though it's a bye week. And of course, Nebraska plays Indiana next week. We're going to be back with some podcasts. Uh, we're going to return with the, the Husker Hypecast. It doesn't matter how many games Nebraska loses. There's going to be a Husker Hypecast on Thursday this season when Nebraska plays on Saturday. You can bank on that. Uh, so we're going to have plenty of coverage. So check out Husker 24-7, and we'll be back with more podcast content soon. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. Now, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.